Good morning, and thank you so much for allowing me to be here with you all this morning. My scripture lesson today is from 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 9 through 14. God is not slow about the promises, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And then the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, and the elements will dissolve with fire, and the earth and everything that is done on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, what sort of person ought you to be in leading lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hasting the coming day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be set ablaze and dissolved, and the elements will melt with fire. But in accordance with God's promise, we wait for a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness is at home. Therefore, beloved, while you are waiting for these things, strive to be found by God at peace without spot or blemish. We celebrate the written word of scripture. Thanks be to God. We celebrate the living word, Christ among us. Thanks be to God. The title of my sermon this morning is Overlooking the Obvious. He stood with the refrigerator, with the refrigerator door open, staring hopelessly, looking for the mandate. Stupidly, he calls to the person who was looking in the refrigerator at that moment. Honey, where's the mail? It's in the fridge. I can't find it. It's right there. Where? On the shelf. Which shelf? The top shelf. It's not there. Did you move stuff around? Yes. It should be right there. I don't see it. Finally, the wife comes over, a bit exasperated, takes one look, reaches in, and hands him the mayonnaise. How many of you can relate to this story? Why is it that we sometimes cannot find the obvious staring us right in the face? We have all done this in our lives one time or another. My mom used to say to me, if it would have been a snake, it would have bit you. This morning in our scripture lesson, we're going to look at a group of people who are overlooking the obvious in their Christian lives. The apostle Peter wrote second, the second book of Peter in Rome, near AD. Close to the time Peter was crucified upside down, just two years before the destruction and the fall of Jerusalem to the Romans. Why is 2 Peter so important? The churches of Asia Minor were not just struggling with their persecution and suffering addressed in Peter's first letter. They were also struggling they had strife and dissension with them among their ranks in the church. The third chapter of 2 Peter has a lot to say about the Lord's return. The churches in Asia Minor appeared to be ready for that to happen. Things were bad for them. They were tired of being persecuted. They were tired of suffering. They were tired of just all that was happening around them. Many of us can probably relate to the people in the churches of Asia Minor today. 2020 has been a really rough year. COVID-19 and the political, and the political, dis political dysfunction 
that is occurring in our country, sometimes it is felt like we have had enough and it is more than we can bear. This morning in our opening hymn, we sang, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. Fear from our free from our spheres and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. We too, like the churches in Asia Minor, are looking to find our rest in God. Many are looking and waiting for God to return during these difficult days. I've heard some people refer to that we are in our last days, that we're at the end of the world, that Christ is coming back because all the chaos is happening. This surely points to we are in our last days. The world ending is not a new topic. There have been books and movies about this for a very long time. Stephen King in his book, The Stand, is an eerie book because it's about a super flu that kills 99.49 of the world's population. Sound familiar? Movies such as The Day After Tomorrow, Contagion, I Am Legend, 12 Monkeys, and of course, The War of the Worlds, all these movies dealt with the world in even the Christians got involved in this. In 1995, Jerry Jeans and Tim LaHaye wrote Left Behind, which tells the story of end times set in contemporary era, in which the true believers in Christ have been raptured, taken instantly to heaven, leaving the world shattered and chaotic. As Reverend Tim shared earlier, I worked as a staff chaplain at a hospital in Atlanta, and I worked there, and I also got our HIV clinic. Last week, one of the patients in our clinic, who's also schizophrenic, came into my office. She began to say to me, Chaplain, I have had a bad morning. It wasn't even 10 o'clock, and she said her day started bad. She said, people are so mean out there. There are so many crazy things happening out there. And she began to talk about what was going on. And after she ended telling me what was going on, as she was walking out the door, she threw up her hands and she said, Lord Jesus, come. This world is in bad shape. We need you now. And she dropped her hands, walked out, just shaking her head. The churches of Asia Minor had probably thrown up their hands and said, Lord, please come. They were concerned about Christ's return. Some would almost say they were obsessive about Christ coming back. Peter does not play down their concerns. He actually reassures them, yes, that Christ is coming back. Peter even describes to them that when Christ does come back, he will come back like a thief in the night. Peter understands that they are weary and maybe even scared. He understands that they are wanting Christ to return so much because of the fact that they are tired of suffering. They are tired of being persecuted. They are tired of what's going on in the world. Like many of you may be feeling this morning, you are just tired of being tired of what's happening right now in our world. Peter is also aware of his responsibility as their pastor and their teacher. Yes, Peter is providing great pastoral care to them by being loving and caring and reassuring them. But he also knows that being a pastor is loving and caring means sometimes that you have to tell the truth. You have to state the obvious, and you have to ask the tough question. Reverend Scott, do you agree with that? Amen. 
<laughs> so Peter proceeds to ask them the tough question. Since everything will be destroyed when Christ returns, what kind of people are you to be? Since everything will be destroyed when Christ returns, he asks them, what kind of people are you to be? It's kind of like when adults will ask a child, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? There's a story about a teacher who asked her students whom they want to be when they grow up. A little girl in her class responded proudly, I want to be just like my mommy when I grow up. And so she proceeds to draw a picture of her mommy. Or apparently her mommy has a pole and has several men waving dollar bills at her. Interesting. When her mom saw the picture, she suddenly realized how damaging the picture might seem to an outsider. She immediately sent the teacher a note. Her mom, here is the mom's response to attempt to do damage control. She says, I wish to clarify, I am not now, nor have I ever been an exotic dancer. I work at Home Depot, and I told my daughter how hectic it was last week before the blizzard hit. I told her we sewed out of every single shovel we had. Then I found one in the back room and that several people were fighting over it who wanted to get it. Her picture does not show me dancing around a pole. It is supposed to depict me selling the last snow shovel we had at Home Depot. From now on, I'll remember to check her homework more carefully. This is a serious question that Peter has invited these churches to think about. He wants them to see the big picture. However, they are so overlooking the obvious. They are so wrapped up in when is Christ coming back and things being so bad, they are overlooking the obvious that Peter is gonna to stay to them. So when he asks them the question, what kind of people are you to be when Christ returns? He, he tells them he ought to be people that are living holy and godly lives. You ought to be people who are living holy and godly lives. Yes, Peter's question was not odd. He's trying to get them to see that they are overlooking the obvious. They need to understand that you just can't sit back waiting around and longing for Christ to come. Yes, he will come back. And yes, it'll be good when Christ comes back. But Christ has called us to do some work until he returns. And what kind of people will we be when he returns? So what does it mean for us to live holy and godly lives? Mother Teresa says it best in her book, In My Own Words. She says, holiness does not consist in doing extraordinary things. It consists in accepting with a smile what Jesus sends us. It consists in accepting and following the will of God. What is the will of God? To feed his sheep. What is the will of God? To love his people. Living in holy, godly lives is not about being the best Christian. It's about caring for the poor and the sick. It's about being the voice for those who are voiceless. It's about standing up against injustice and oppression. It's about walking the long journey with a single mother, holding her hands, reminding her that you will get through this. It's about creating places of warmth and comfort for the homeless during these long and cold winter nights. And it's about Black Lives Matter. In my sermon, I found this statement that best describes what it means to live holy and godly lives. 
It means speaking out. Silence in the midst of sin is sin. It means courageous. It means to fear God and not men. Speak the truth in love. It means if you see justice going on, say something about it. It means being willing to do something about it. It is about character. It is about stepping up, lead, initiate, be a person of action. Assume it is your job and your moment. Hate apathy, reject passivity. John Lewis, the great civil rights activist who passed away this year said the following, do not get lost in the sea of despair. Be hopeful, be optimistic. Our struggle is not the struggle of a day, a week, a month, or a year. It is the struggle of a lifetime. Never be afraid to make some noise and get in good trouble, necessary trouble. Our world today needs people who are living holy and godly lives more than ever before. We need more Christians with the big C and not the small C. We need people who are going to be committed to carrying out God's will for us to feed his sheep, to love his people, people who are not afraid to make some noise, to get in good trouble, necessary trouble. I have a friend who is a nurse in Boston. She works at a clinic where there are homeless people who come there who are hungry and they're in need of food supply. And so she makes little lunches for them before she leaves to work. She makes these lunches for them to hand out. So her boss heard that she was handing out these lunches and he ordered her his office and he said, you know, you cannot do that anymore. It is not your job. Do you understand that you cannot do that? I'm telling you, you can't do that anymore. She pauses. And she says to him, I am sorry, I cannot do that. My Bible tells me that I need to feed those who are hungry. I need to help those who are in need. And she said, I am going to do just that. Who does she think she is? She had the audacity to say and speak what God is calling all of us to do. She was willing to make some noise. She was willing to get in good trouble, necessary trouble. Are we willing to make some noise in our lives? Are we willing to get in good trouble, necessary trouble, to make a difference in this world? Are we willing to be people who are living holy and godly lives? This is what Christ is calling us to do. We are living in some very dark days, my friends. We have had over 1 million people die of COVID-19 worldwide. A country now that is divided more than ever before. People are feeling hopeless and they're not seeing much hope on the horizon very soon. However, we cannot just sit around waiting for Christ to come back and that's all that we do. Yes, again, Christ is going to come back and that is our hope. But we have to see the now and understand what the obvious is that he's called us to do right now and that is to live holy and godly lives. Do you understand me and hear me this this is what Christ is calling us to do. These may not be comforting words for some of you who are sitting here this morning. Some may feel, you know, uh, Reverend, I, 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 I'm old. I, I, I've lived a long life. I've seen some very rough things. I've seen some hard things. You know, frankly, I'm ready for Christ to return. I'm ready for some of this crazy mess that we're in. I'm ready for it to come back. I'm ready for Christ to come back and get me. And maybe some of you are feeling like, okay, Christ, if you are going to come back, when are you going to come back? 
Remember the famous saying that God always has a plan? Well, he does. And he needs you and me in his plan. What we may see as Christ's slowness is actually Christ being patient and waiting for the hearts of his children to come to him. What we may perceive as slowness is actually God demonstrating his great love for us by, by giving us time so that we will not perish. The Greek word for perish is a word called, called apolestad, with the word apo referring to apo, referring to any kind of separation of one thing from another by which the union or fellowship of the two are destroyed. God's deepest desire for us is that we stay connected in him and in union and fellowship. And God's desire is that we help do that, that we are the ones that will help people stay connected in him. God is wanting us to do more than just love him. He is asking for us to feed his sheep, to love his children. God has sent us this great opportunity to show people who Jesus, who Jesus is by our actions. Your Advent theme this year is light dawn on a weary world. What if God is calling us to live holy and godly lives that we might possibly be that light that dawns on a weary world? So you may be wondering, how do we do this? How do we go about making this happen? The work that Christ is calling us to do this morning is painstaking work, and we must be diligent. We must humble ourselves before God each and every day, being committed to a daily devotion and prayer with him, searching our hearts and renewing our spirits, seeking forgiveness in our own hearts, and, and forgiving others. We must seek support from others who will lift us up, who will pray with us, who will encourage us, and will walk us when it seems like the work of being holy and godly people is too much. And finally, we must care for our bodies and our souls. Why? Why must we do this? Because we must do this in order to continue fighting against the powers of racism, sexism, homophobia, and xenophobia. We have to do more than just talk about Christ. We have to be the voice and the hands and the feet so that people will see the Christ in us. Howard Thurman says that too often, the weight of the Christian movement has been on the side of the strong and the powerful and against the weak and the oppressed and the oppressed. This despite the gospel. You see, the clarity of the gospel tells us that our job is to feed those who are hungry, to care for those who are, who, who are sick. It tells us to stand up and speak out against injustice and the things that are happening. It tells us to make some noise, as John Lewis says. Get in trouble, necessary trouble. You see, people need to see Jesus in us by our actions and the things that we do. People need to hear more than just uh, that you need to say, we need Christ. They need to see you do it. They need to see the big C in you and not the small C in you. Please hear me this morning. Do you understand what I am saying to you? Do you know that Christ is going to come back and he'll come back like a thief in the night? Will you be ready when Christ comes back, when he comes back? Will you be that one that is living a holy God in life and doing the things that Christ has called you to do, to standing up and speak out? 
what does God require of us? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Christ will return just as he promised. But will you be so busy looking for his return, sitting and waiting that you overlook the obvious of living in holy and godly life? My prayer for us today, my friends, is that we will not overlook the obvious, but we will live holy and godly life by responding with courage and truth and love to a hurting world in order that we just might be the light that dawns on a weary world, the candle of hope to those who are so desperately in need of hope. God has sent us a great opportunity to bring people and unite people in fellowship I ask you a question today, my friends. Will you be ready when Christ returns? Will you be able to stand before him spotless and blameless and in peace, knowing that you have done the work that Christ has called us to do? So now I pose the question to you as I conclude my sermon. What kind of person do you want to be when Christ returns? Amen.